0: Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives.
1: A ministry of Calvary Mac.
0: Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. If this is your first time here, welcome. We're so glad you found us. This is a place where real women share real stories of real hope and we have over 100 stories available for you so far on this podcast. So if you're new, We hope you enjoy them. Go back to the beginning. You can binge listen to so many amazing stories. And for those of you who have been with us a long time, welcome back. We're so glad you're still here and listening to more and more stories. We have endless stories to record and share with you. And tonight, my guest is Mandy. And Mandy is actually a local friend here. Sometimes we have guests from all over the country. uh, But tonight, I have a guest who's just around the corner from me. And we get to actually record in person, which is kind of fun. So Mandy, thank you for coming here and doing this. Before we start on any part of your story, would you introduce yourself to the listeners?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. My name is Mandy and I'm um, local. I live here actually in Carlton on a 26 acre filbert farm and I'm married. I have three older stepkids and one biological daughter who's seven we have lots of animals. I loved a garden and we just we homeschool our daughter and we're just busy living life doing that. With twenty-six acres, I would think so. <laughs> yeah, we, we have a two acre personal garden that we grow a lot of vegetables and fruit and we can about a thousand jars of fruits and vegetables a year. So we We are quite busy homesteading. So
0: (laughs) absolutely. Okay. Now for anybody who just stopped for a minute and went, wait, what's a filbert? (laughs) Um, Hazelnut. (laughs) Okay. Because I know when we moved here, I kept hearing that. I was like, I don't know what that means. (laughs) And then realized that they were that they were hazelnuts. Is there which one's correct?
1: (laughs) Um, I think you can call them by either name. Okay. (laughs) But I just when I moved up here, we were I was introduced as, it was called a filbert farm, so it just rolls off the tongue that yeah. way. So <laughs> that's what I have always called it. And and we've actually turned in some of it into hay because we started dairy goats. And so we keep some of the hay for ourselves. And then the person that hays the farm for us does some of the hay for his beef. And mm-hmm. then we fill our freezer full of his beef. So it kind of just works out that way. It's
0: amazing. I, I feel think. like you're living the good sweet simple life that probably a lot of mm. listeners would just love to have and one of the great purposes of story night is to really show the authentic story, somebody's real story because what we get introduced to in this kind of just casual quick introduction Is just the tip of the iceberg. It's not the whole story. It's not what everyone has gone through. And so easily, women could look at your life and think, oh, how beautiful, Mm -hmm. how sweet, how wonderful. You have a husband, you have children, you have this amazing farm and this wonderful life and everything must be just absolutely glorious and wonderful. And of course, we will get all the way back to the end of the episode to, yes, the glorious and the wonderful and the light and the redemption, but your story did not start that way. Mm -hmm. And I want to thank you in advance for being willing to share this because it takes a lot of courage. It is a hard story, but it is a story of hope. And ladies, for those of you who've been listening for a while, you know what I'm about to say. This is one of those episodes that comes with a trigger warning. We're going to go through a story that has a lot of mature topics, and you really want to make sure that you are emotionally prepared. To listen, and that those within earshot are mature enough for such topics. But even though we're going to travel through some really dark, heavy chapters, the light at the end is truly amazing. So, with that, Mandy, let's start
1: with your birth and what life was like in those very, very early years. Well, I was born in 1980. My mom was 16 years old, and she already had a 19-month-old. My dad was much older. He was 29 years old. He was married. He was a father of four. When I was about eight months old, my mom got pregnant again, and she dropped me and my brother off at a babysitter's house. So I think she got scared and didn't know what to do. And after about a week of no word from her, They called Child Protective Services, and we were placed in foster care. From what I've learned, the family that we were placed with was really loving, and that's where I stayed until I was about three years old, and my paternal grandmother, my dad's mom, convinced my dad to apply for custody of my brother and myself, and my father was unfortunately a abusive alcoholic and a drug addict and he was also a drug dealer and I still remember to this day being four to five years old and having to sell his drugs for him when he was passed out on the couch so we didn't live in very good conditions we lived in filth and I didn't ever know where my next meal would come from and when I was living with my father, my paternal grandfather, my dad's dad, began molesting me. And that it went on for two years until it was discovered and he was told to stop. There was never any punishment for him. And years later, I learned he had also molested my aunts as well. And I have a hard time understanding how they could have allowed that me to be alone with him. For the first five years of your life, there really just
0: wasn't anything that you could hold on to that would be hopeful or or good or loving other than potentially that foster family that had you for those first few years?
1: Yeah. As much as I loved my dad very much and mm-hmm. as damaging of a relationship as it was, I was still very close to him.
0: There are so many listeners that know exactly what you're talking about because yeah. they have lived through abuse of some kind. And have wrestled with that, how uh, genuinely loving somebody that's abusing you. Mm -hmm. Now, for the listeners who have never experienced that, that's really hard for them to understand. Like, how could you love somebody that was hurting you so much? I I mean, I think in some ways, at this point in your early life, you didn't know that there was another type of life. No. That there would have been a life without drugs and abuse and, and with cleanliness and... And food you could depend on. Right. And looking back, you're also understandably wondering how these adult women, your aunts, could have even allowed you to be anywhere close to this man who was hurting you in the same way that had hurt them.
1: Yeah. For years, even honestly to this day, I still question. Yeah. I've forgiven them in my adult self. I've been able to grow up enough to get past it and to see that I need to let go of that anger and let go of that hurt. But if somebody, like if my grandfather was still alive, I don't think I would let my seven-year-old around him. Exactly. So I don't see how they could let me around him. Right. So... So uh, that's still very difficult for me to understand to this day and age.
0: (laughs) You know, you hit a good point, though, that you have been able to forgive. Mm -hmm. But forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean that you understand. Right. Nor does it mean that you you think it's okay what they Mm -hmm. did, nor does it mean that you've maybe reconciled a relationship or, you know, been to stay in something that's maybe toxic or abusive or, you know, unsafe or unhealthy. So we'll, we'll circle all the way back because that whole concept of what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't is so important. It's something that I know so many Christian women in particular kind of wrestle with, like, what does this Mm. mean if I'm called to forgive, but does that mean I just continue to live with injustice and, and so forth? All right. Well, we, we kind of paused at your story, right? When you were the, basically the first five years of your life Mm -hmm. that, that were, that are just heartbreaking. I mean, there's so many other words to describe it, but it's, it's the kind of story that you hear of. And it just makes you want to go, go back in time, time travel and go rescue the little Mandy. Yeah. Things are about to, there's a lot of turning points in this story. Um, Lots of big moments that kind of keep changing the trajectory. And as I understand it, when you're about six years old, Christmas Eve is going to be a, a kind of a momentous time.
1: Yeah, it was Christmas Eve. I was five and a half. Well, maybe I was six. Uh, the police broke down the door and arrested my dad. So I was in the living room and I was right. In, it was right in front of me. Like we were taken to the police station and I just remember just crying and just wanting my dad back. We were questioned about who we could go to. And I didn't know my dad's sister was called. That's who ended up taking us in was his sister and her husband that ended up starting eight years of mental and emotional abuse Mm -hmm of years of being told I was going to amount to nothing, just like my father and mother being forced to go and visit my abuser, my grandfather, and being forced to sit on his lap and hug and kiss him when I didn't want to. I remember when I first moved in, my uncle um, exposing himself to me and trying to get me to touch him in inappropriate ways, and being so scared that I was, slept with a knife under my pillow because I was afraid he was going to do something to me. You know, I just, it was not any better of a situation than with my dad, honestly. It was different. It was a, just as bad but just different
0: you can see how much some of those family patterns of abuse and, and of honestly of evil have have just the ripple effect
1: yeah through
0: the family which we paint the picture not to depress people or make them feel angry or distressed or hopeless but it's just going to show
1: how amazing the end of the story is yeah it definitely it got worse before it got better we had a another aunt it was my my dad's brother and his wife that we used to go visit every summer it was you know the exciting place to go visit no, there was never any rules and we always got to do what we wanted and so we thought that that would just be the coolest place to be. And we decided to pack up as much of our stuff in secret as possible. And we moved there when I was 14 years old, when we went to visit for the summer. And when my aunt called, my dad's sister called to see when we were coming back, we told her we weren't going to be coming back. And we decided to stay and um, live with this aunt. We thought we had it made. No rules. Partying all the time. She bought us alcohol. She bought us drugs. I mean, it was junk food galore. I mean, just we stayed up all night and didn't have to go to school if we didn't want to. I mean, every kid's fantasy, we just thought we had it made. We didn't realize that she had her own set of mental illnesses and mental demons. And I came home one day and I was high and went upstairs and decided to take a nap. And she was blasting her music and my brother was blasting his music. And at this point you're about...
0: Sixteen. Yeah,
1: because okay. I was driving at that point, so yeah. I'm, I'm, and I was in school, and I was actually attempting to do school, and I, so I woke up and I heard crying coming from downstairs, and I went downstairs to check it out, and my aunt had shot herself, and I took away the gun and had my brother call nine one one. It was just. Very scary, and the police wouldn't come in because there was a gun involved. And then they tried to pin it on us and say that we did it because I had handled the gun. And it was just a very scary time in my life. You know, I, I didn't know if my aunt was going to make it, she was touch and go in the hospital. The police were still trying to say that. We must have done it because there was no way that we could have been in the house and not heard a gunshot. My aunt, she ended up getting better. She came home after being in the hospital for about a month. She decided that she didn't want us living there anymore. And that's when she kicked us out. We didn't have anywhere to go. For a while, we stayed at the neighbor's house and she didn't want to stay in there because we were bad influences on her son. And so we stayed at a friend's in a friend's grandma's trailer. At the time, I was heavily, I was smoking a lot of marijuana and drinking heavily. I was smoking cigarettes. I was still attempting to do school. I was working, but I was drowning myself Mm -hmm. in alcohol. I was not functioning well at all. We ended up getting kicked out of the trailer because I had filled the landlords, the friends, grandma's garbage cans with liquor bottles And so at this point,
0: you're a teenager where so many other 16, 17, maybe 18-year-olds are finishing up high school, maybe doing sports or extracurricular, maybe thinking about college, maybe their biggest drama is, you know, who's going to take them to prom and living a, a much simpler, easier life. And you've already been through really more trauma in those first 16 to 18 years than many people have in a lifetime with one family member after another, after another, after another, either neglecting, abandoning, or abusing you. And now you and your brother
1: are essentially homeless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was living in my car at that point, living on the streets. And that's when a gentleman, I was still working and going to school and a gentleman from my work said that he didn't want me living on on the streets and so he invited me to sleep on his couch for the night and I ended up not leaving for six years. (laughs) He had two little boys and his wife was pregnant with their third boy and they ended up by the time I left they had four little boys And I was kind of like a little nanny to them. Ended up working for their company. Mm -hmm. They ended up buying the company that I worked for. And I worked there the whole time that I lived with them. And they're the ones that introduced me to Jesus. In 1998, that's when I accepted Jesus into my life and got baptized and asked him to be my savior. And you would think that it all...
0: (laughs) You said exactly what I was thinking. This is when you think, okay, this is it. This is the light at the end of the tunnel. It's happily ever after. We ride off into the sunset. Yeah. But that's usually not how the stories go.
1: Not always. No, well, I I managed to graduate high school on time. I an, attended an alternative school so I could work full-time and finish high school and I started dating a gentleman and he wasn't a believer and I think that affected my relationship with Christ and my walk with the Lord. And it affected my relationship with the people that brought me to the Lord as well. And they did not approve of my relationship with him at all. It really made my relationship with them hard if you really
0: listeners if you take a minute just to sort of think about i don't know what other word to use other than whiplash mm-hmm. i mean to go from one extreme of a lifestyle yeah to this complete flip where there's a i'm sure not perfect but a a loving stable grounded family mm-hmm. where you're watching them function
1: mm-hmm.
0: and care for each other and they're showing you the gospel. I'm mean, I'm sure they told you about it, but they're also just showing you like, hey, we we want to offer you love and acceptance and another option. And from my understanding, that came with some expectations of you you can you you come as you are that we hear the phrase come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Right. And so they're doing what Jesus does. Come as you are, you don't have to, you do not have to do anything just to come and be loved mm-hmm. and be cared for, but don't keep living this other type of life. We're gonna there's a there's a better, healthier, <laughs> more joyful option.
1: No, they definitely had roles. I had to I mean, this is before I graduated, but I had to stop associating with the people that I partied with, that I did drugs and alcohol with. I had to stop using drugs and alcohol. I had to attend school, even if it was the alternative school, I had to finish school and continue to work and you know, let them know where I was, stuff like that, you know, stuff that you would let a parent know. Mm -hmm.
0: And you're on fire for Jesus yeah. and Christian music, Bible. I mean, all of
1: it. Yeah. I even went on a backpacking trip when I was 18 with my young life group. And that was one of the most amazing experiences. I mean, I was on fire for the Lord and I had to like, completely rely on God to get me up on that mountain and across that glacier. And I gave my testimony on that mountain and that was something that, you know, like I always hold dear in my heart because like, that was something that God got me through. And
0: and in the midst of all of that, there's this lure to kind of maybe go back. Mm To the lifestyle you, you had, you knew that Mm -hmm. you had had grown up with. And again, so many listeners who have never experienced this, they don't get it. They might think, I don't understand. Now you have this great, happy, clean, joyful life. How in the world could you possibly
1: be tempted to go back to what you know? Well, I think it definitely didn't help having a boyfriend that still was living that life that I was trying to get away from he was still partying in that scene and doing the drugs and doing the alcohol and living the life that I used to live and spending all the time with the people and so it was not a good choice and they knew it and probably deep down in my heart I knew it but I was being rebellious.
0: You know, some, as you're talking, I'm thinking a little bit about the concept of muscle memory. And if you, whatever it is, if you, if you learn to play an instrument or write or play a sport or walk or anything, if you kind of learn it the incorrect way, mm-hmm. and then later somebody teach, you know, corrects you and okay, this is what your, your physical body needs to adjust to, to do it the the right healthy way. And but we our body just gravitates back
1: mm-hmm.
0: to what we grew up with. like what what we first knew. it is a, and the, the habits can be so hard to break, and the same thing can happen spiritually, mentally, emotionally, we just fall back into that position, if you will, yeah, where we spent so much of our lives. Yeah. Well, at age 21, is another kind of a turning point here, right? With this, with this relationship that you had.
1: Yeah. I ended up moving to Portland mm-hmm. from the coast and I felt like the only way to get away from the family that brought me to God and taught me all about him was a big major move like that. So I got a a whole new job. I started college on in Portland. I left even my boyfriend was in Eugene, you know, so I was all alone and stressed out to the max. I had started drinking again. I was going down a dark path and it was not pretty. I was drinking so much I even got fired from one of my doctors because she said that I was a, trying to commit suicide by the amount of alcohol I was drinking because I was drinking at like a, anywhere from a fifth to a half gallon of alcohol a day. I would get off work at my night job and start drinking from the moment I got off work till I finished the bottle and then I would pass out and wake up and go to work and go and buy another bottle and do it repeat. And I would do that over and over again. And I was just very depressed, very unhappy with myself and with life in general. And I wasn't walking with God at all. I wasn't leaning on him at all. I was hanging out with somebody that I thought was a good friend of mine. And one night we had gone out drinking and gone back to his place, which wasn't anything out of the ordinary, but he decided to rape me that night. I kind of came to and realized what was happening. I mean, of course I was drunk and I got myself up and took myself to work. And I just cried and cried and cried. And my supervisor talked me into telling them what was wrong. And I told them and I ended up getting taken to the hospital and got checked out. I wouldn't tell anybody who had done that to me. You know, I was like... I'll take care of it on my own, you know? And so even the police were like threatening me, like, don't do that. You know, you are you can't take this into your own hands. And so that didn't even make me feel safe, you know? And so I blamed myself because it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been drinking, even though it was somebody that I thought I was safe with, that I thought was a friend then my relationship with my, he was my fiance at that point, deteriorated. I never told my fiance about the man who raped me. And we ended up breaking up, breaking off our relationship and going our separate ways. I was angry. I was very angry. I was angry at people that brought me to god i was angry at god i was angry at the world i was angry at everybody
0: anger almost sounds like an understatement you know it's almost like we don't even have a word in english strong enough for everything that had happened in your life up until that point yeah and what do people do with that anger there's a lot of choices when you hit kind of that kind of that rock bottom
1: for me that was the beginning of my mental health issues i was severely depressed then i became manic and i didn't understand what was going on i was talking a million miles a minute i had all the energy in the world i was sleeping with inappropriate partners, spending money I didn't have. I just, I didn't understand. I didn't have a word for it. Now I do. I understand now that I'm bipolar and that the trauma is what triggered that bipolar. But at the time I didn't understand what was happening to me. I saw a healthcare professional and they put me on medication and I hated it. It made me feel like a zombie. I ended up quitting the medication cold turkey. What it did to me was I ended up on the freeway in the middle of the night trying to jump in front of a semi. And it's the closest I've ever come in my life. I've been suicidal, I would say, many times in my life. But that's the closest I've ever come to actually committing suicide. And the only thing that stopped me that night was the thought that ran through my head was, how can I do that to another human being? How can I bring that upon somebody else's shoulders? You know, so I didn't do it. I went home and the next day I called around, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried to find help, and nobody wanted to help me. You know, nobody wants to help somebody that has been non-compliant with their meds, that has been, like the doctors say, trying to commit suicide with alcohol. Nobody wanted to help me, so it was a rough road ahead with the doctors.
0: Just hearing that, I think brings, I mean, at a minimum frustration, but more likely great anger over the lack of support when you were, especially when you're looking for it, mm-hmm. you know, so often we hear the stories of the flip side where you've got, you know, all these mentors, teachers, parents, health professionals, et cetera, trying to offer help to somebody who's refusing it.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: here is the opposite of that. Yeah. Somebody who needs help desperately, trying to find it. and essentially everyone's saying like, well, your past disqualifies you yeah. from us being willing or able to help you. The good news is that there's a God in heaven <laughs> who doesn't require any qualifications no to come to him.
1: He wasn't done with me.
0: He was not done with you and he was going to help you. You just didn't, I think know it quite yet.
1: No, it took years. I tried for years. I would go to churches, and I would sit in the back, and I would just cry the whole time. And I would duck out early so nobody would talk to me. And I didn't feel worthy of his love. I didn't feel worthy of being forgiven. I didn't feel worthy to be there. And I couldn't find a church that I felt that I belonged to. I finally did find healthcare professionals that would help but I would get better and then I would think I'm better so I wouldn't need my meds and so then I wouldn't take them and then I'd get worse again and then I'd get better again and then I'd get worse again and you know and it was just like this roller coaster ride of emotions and then my it was about 2012 and my my health took a turn for the worse. I was having difficulty walking. I didn't know what was wrong. I I was seeking healthcare from multiple different places and nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. So I ended up leaving both my full-time jobs in the Eugene area and moved to the coast and worked for my friend. And I attended a little church, a little Nazarene church, and met my current husband. We weren't going to get together because he had a difficult past with his ex and he was a single dad and he wasn't looking for a relationship. And I wasn't looking for a relationship, but it just kind of blossomed. And we ended up getting married just quietly between the two of us. Then in 2014, I ended up getting pregnant with my biological daughter, which is just amazing in itself, because I was told after so many years of promiscuous sex that I couldn't have children of my own, that I was in early menopause. So she's kind of like my miracle. So I had her in 2015, and we felt like our little family was complete. It really,
0: truly is a miracle yeah. when you think of how much was done to your body and how much you did to your body. Yeah, that would have set the stage for being infertile or not being able to to carry a child to term and to have yeah. a
1: healthy baby. Yeah, and all those health problems I was having, people prayed over me, and me and my husband. We just decided one day we're going to stop searching. You know, we're going to stop going to doctors every month and the specialists, and we're going to stop and we're just going to give it over to God. And all of a sudden I was able to walk again and I was able to function. And I mean, I'm not perfect, but I had my mobility back and... You know, by the time I got pregnant with my daughter, that's when I decided I really need to take my mental health seriously and take my meds and get this under control. And,
0: you know, it's interesting. You've kind of described two different approaches towards health. One is a complete surrender to God where you're not calling every specialist and every doctor. And the other is taking medicine Mm -hmm. and listening to the science and the technology that's Mm -hmm. going to help a real condition. And that takes so much discernment to find out, okay, God, when are you calling me to just trust you and you're actually going to do some miraculous healing? And God, when are you calling me into still a miraculous healing, but through the use of medicine and uh, the wisdom of, of quality doctors?
1: Yeah. And, and God uses both. I agree. And I think he, I've seen it both in my life because I've seen how much of a blessing the right medication can be in my life.
0: And listeners, I hope you hear that because I know that there are so many things that go on, whether it's physical, mental, uh, emotional, where the right doctor and the right medicine can be life-changing. Mm-hmm. And it's important to pray for that discernment
1: mm-hmm.
0: for your, your path, your path to healing. Now, at this point, it may again, seem like we've arrived at the happy ending, right? right. You've, you've got your health on track mm-hmm. and you've got your relationship with God on track. Mm-hmm. You have a husband, you have stepchildren and you have a miracle biological child.
1: Yeah. And then we got the news that we were pregnant again. And I was due, it would have been a New Year's baby when Abby would have been only, let's see, 14 months old. And unfortunately, when it was... May, and I remember the day, the night clearly, and we were having a birthday party, and I was having the most terrible pain, and I lost the baby, something that I don't think I'll ever get over. I
0: know it might be very reassuring for some women to hear you say that, because I think the statistics are about one in four, about 25%. Of joyful pregnancies will end with a miscarriage. And that is a staggering number. Mm-hmm. Which means so many listeners have experienced that. And so many listeners are going to hold the piece of grief, really, what might feel like forever, like that that they won't ever fully get over that pain. I hope this conversation just validates what they're feeling that. That is a deep grief. And it doesn't matter if you were only one week pregnant. Mm-hmm. That's still a deep grief. Yeah. I'll take a, a a quick moment just in case any listeners haven't heard some of the episodes in the past that that do talk about miscarriage, loss, stillbirth, infertility. If any of those are part of your story there's an organization we partner with called sarah's laughter and it's a faith-based organization for women and men going through any of those griefs and they have a podcast with stories just like this one and amazing resources and uh, support groups bible study plans and so forth so if that's part of your story and you're really resonating with mandy right now then definitely take a look at sarah's laughter um, for some support and some healing there as for your healing, I know you said, you know, you'll, you'll never forget that baby, but you, you've been able to move forward.
1: I have, I've grown so much since then. We ended up moving here to Carlton, starting our garden and finding our church home. Yeah. Things have been good. Things aren't perfect. Life is never perfect, but you put one foot in front of the other, and you take take it one day at a time, and the Lord is good.
0: Oh, I want to come back to that point you just said. The Lord is good. Put a pin in that, listeners. We're going to circle back and, and kind of close right there and, and talk about that for a little bit. But if I'm remembering correctly, there's kind of one other big health hurdle that you had. Uh, fairly recently.
1: Yeah. In 2018, I had gotten up to 429 pounds. I was almost bedridden. My little girl was, let's see, she was three at the time and I would have to sit while she played. I didn't have the energy or the strength. I was in pain constantly. I, I couldn't play with her. I couldn't stand to cook a meal for my family. I couldn't stand to do housework and my health was just as much as it had gotten better as far as I was able to walk again and stuff like that. I was still in so much pain and misery from being almost 500 pounds and i ended up pursuing weight loss surgery and i had the gastric sleeve and i lost 264 pounds and i have my life back and now i can outrun my little girl and we can play soccer together and we can run around the yard and have fun. And I can run up and down the stairs a million times a day and I can cook meals and I have my health. It was just such a huge blessing to have that in my life.
0: Well, praise God. And what another wonderful example too, of a way where, Doctors, technology, surgery was used Mm -hmm. toward your healing. Yeah. So circling back, we've kind of come now to the point of where you are today, on your acreage, with with your family, with your health, relationship with Jesus. And you can say very authentically that God is good. Yes, he is now i know there are some listeners that might struggle with that especially hearing your your whole life story where they think how can you say that maybe they can see that okay he he helped you out here and there you know he he showed up for parts of your life but there's that the big question that's always in so many minds is how how does a good loving god like allow you so much trauma so much abuse so many just tragedies throughout your life You know, it's one thing for somebody to just sort of say, well, God is good because of all these things, but it just, it means so much more coming from somebody like you, because you have lived through some of the darkest darknesses there are. Mm -hmm. And yet you can say without any doubt that there's a God that loves you and is
1: good. I just know without a doubt that he loves me that he's been walking by my side all these years. It wasn't him that did all those things to me. And as much as we don't want people to hurt us, he lets people have free will. Unfortunately, people use that to do things that we don't want to happen to other people. Those people in my life that hurt me didn't necessarily know God. So how can I expect them to be Christ-like if they don't know who Christ is? And I can say that now. I maybe couldn't say that when I was 12 or 20, but I'm older now and can see that. And maybe that's being a mother now or just being more of a mature Christian or I don't know. But... I know that God is using my story. God let me endure the hard times for a reason. He's the one that gave me the strength to get through it. So there's a
0: song that's been on the radio a lot lately. And as you're talking, I keep thinking of the lyrics from the chorus, which says, my story, your glory, my pain, your purpose my mess, your message, and all things I know you're working. One life, one mission, one reason why I'm living. All for you, not for me. My story, your glory. And that seems so fitting to the story you've shared, Mm -hmm. that your story, your pain, your mess, God used for glory and and a purpose and, and this message that now you've been so brave to share. And thank you so much for doing this. I know this wasn't easy, but I know you felt very called to share this. And one other thing I wanted to touch on, kind of mentioned at the beginning of the episode before we close in prayer, is that idea of forgiveness.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now looking back over all of the people who hurt you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's an understatement, hurt as an understatement. Yeah. Uh, Another speaker a few episodes ago was talking about that and say, you know, just reminding listeners that forgiveness is releasing the debt Mm -hmm. really for your sake um, and Mm -hmm. your relationship with God. And that that forgiveness is really has to do with you and God. Yeah. Reconciliation would be you and these people who have abused and hurt you. And God does not always call to that kind of a a reconciliation, he does call for forgiveness. So for for you, as you look back over your story, again, there's some listeners that would go, "How could you possibly forgive the men who molested you, the the man who raped you? How can you forgive the people who put you through that mental abuse, who abandoned you, neglected you? You know, fill in the blank. Like, how can you forgive them?
1: You just you can't hold on to that anger and that hatred in your heart. You can't. That's too much to carry around that's too much of a burden in your own heart to carry and just to know that i'm worth forgiving they're worth forgiving they say that forgiving isn't about the other person it's not for the other person it's for you Mm -hmm. and i think that's very true it's definitely a healing point for you I think the only reason I'm sitting here today is because, as you can imagine, I have PTSD from everything that I've gone through, and I went through PTSD therapy recently. I learned a lot in that therapy, and I highly recommend it for anybody that has past trauma. It was called CPT therapy, I think. It's part of the healing process, letting go and moving on and not holding on to that anger and not letting that control you anymore.
0: Absolutely. For those listeners who are interested, that that CPT therapy is cognitive processing therapy. And so if you want to, to look that up or look into it, we wanted to make sure you had that information and that resource as well. Mandy, we could say so much more. <laughs> I want to thank you again for going back through your whole life story and and finding the the strength to tell it. And we know that there are listeners who needed to hear this for one reason or another, and we we appreciate that so much. We close every episode in prayer. And I would love to ask for you to pray for those who are listening to this.
1: All right. Dear Heavenly Father, we just we thank you for anybody that may be listening today. We just pray that you just be with them, heal them, comfort them, and be be with them on their journey, Lord. Go with them today in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: You know. Thank you again. And ladies. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, We hope as always that you are blessed and that you were encouraged and that you found just a great sense of, of joy and maybe even excitement over what God can do, no matter what the story is, no matter what the background, there is nothing, nothing going on in your life that is too much for him. Nothing he can't rescue and nothing he can't heal. Thank you for tuning in. and We hope you come back next time for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of
1: Calvary Mac.
0: For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women.